On the off chance anyone is just listening in for the first time, this episode will be talking about the entirety of Worth the Candle. There are full spoilers. Don't listen to this if you don't want to be spoiled and haven't read it all yet. Hey there, Steven. This is Eniash. Hey, Eniash. This is Steven. And uh, hey, you two. This is Alexander Wales. Hey. Oh, my God. Alexander Wales, welcome. I guess technically literally God in the case of the work we're about to discuss. Yeah. How are you doing? Uh, doing great. Excellent. I came up with a number of things as I was reading that I really wanted to ask you. And uh, I read a number of the facts, but I know I didn't hit all of them. So if there's any repeats here, then I apologize to the people who are better whales, whales watchers than I am. Sorry, one sec. No problem. Take your time. Podcasting. That was my that was my son. He's going to bed like right now. So hey, no yeah. problem. Okay, that's Theo, right? Yeah, that's my that's my son Theo. Theo is also yeah. obviously a pseudonym, just like Alexander. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will do my best to answer questions. It's been five years since I started the story, so memory is not the best. I will say. How do you, how do you feel uh, five years out? Um, there's stuff that I would change for sure. There's stuff that. In in a serial, you kind of start and you have a plan and you don't get too hung up on whether that plan is is like going how it was supposed to. I'm overall pretty happy with it. Uh, but some of that is just um, I, I don't know. <laughs> some, some of the there, there's definitely some stuff I, I would change and stuff that I feel like I went wrong in various ways. What is like one or two things that you really would like to change if you could go back in time and do that? Um. I would change the beginning. I changed the beginning because Fortnite came out a month after I started the story, two months, something like that. I became just like incredibly huge. And in Fortnite, there are like zombies. I have never played Fortnite, but there are zombies and you like drop into the like zombie land and stuff. And for people who are like super invested in Fortnite, the story reads a lot differently. It reads as like a Fortnite reference that I don't like. <laughs> okay. That doesn't like work for me. So I, I would change it and I would have it be a different exclusion zone. I had first assumed that it was like a PUBG, uh, the player unknowns battleground, because that also starts in with people being airdropped yeah, yeah, yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going for uh, Escape from New York with Snake Plissken. Oh, cool. Uh, but it definitely, I, I think, reads awkwardly now through only a little fault of my own. From someone who has not played Fortnite, uh, I think it's fantastic and I wouldn't change it. But again, you've probably got a lot of people who have played it. Yeah, uh, I think I think it's just one of those things. Um, the start of the story is like really important to a lot of people because that's when they decide if they're going to keep going or they're going to drop it. So if you can avoid turning people off for no reason, like some people you want to turn off. Some people you want to like let them know right away. This is not going to yeah. be a story for you. Just get out of here. Stop reading. Like, we don't want you here. You want to do that as much as possible. So there's there's some bad signaling at the start. And I think at the a lot of people are not satisfied with the ending. Uh, and I think there might be things that I could change about that. I don't know. There were certain things that I that when I was writing, I, I put them in. And I'm like, okay, this, this is the resolution I had in mind. And couldn't get to the correct resolution that I, I wanted. There was a thought that I had about that. And this is probably like too specific of a reference unless it happens to be salient to you because it's there was a line when June is talking to the DM at the end. The DM says like, I tried, I've tried like a hundred different ways of explaining this to you or something. Yeah. And that sounds kind of like what you just said. Yeah. I wrote various different versions of the ending. I, I, really? there, there's a, a bunch of like deleted content called the Apocrypha uh, that I, I put that out uh, like a month or so after the final epilogue chapter. There's like a bunch of stuff. And then sometimes it's like conversations with the DM that canonically didn't happen, but they happen in the Apocrypha and are sort of roughly canonized at the end as things that I had written that just never made it in. Um, that sounds fun. It's a little fun. <laughs> some of the stuff in there is just me like testing out ideas or just some chapters just got scrapped and, and rewritten because they, they weren't working out. I don't know if you were familiar with like what the what the format of the show was. So like this was Enosh's second time reading it and mm -hmm. my first time and I was kept in the dark about really everything the whole time through, which is a awesome experience. The sales pitch for getting me into it was Enosh said, dude, we need to do like a 
we've got worm we want more style thing with this alexander wales like long web, web serial that he did and i was like all right well i'm sold because he said alexander wales <laughs> and you're hyped to reread this and inyash never reread stuff and yeah. so that was like enough to get me enthused but uh after the fell seed thing and he gets through hell Inyash told me, cause I didn't like look at any extraneous documentation or anything during the show either. He told me about the, uh, the lost arc that was going to be like after June died and before we get to see June again. Yeah. I think that would have gone, it had a risk of going too long. I was also, I was also like burnt out at the time. I, I went through like different waves of burnout, like how much I was invested in the story coming to its conclusion and stuff. I think it would have been fun to write. Um, I just think that, I don't know. Web serials are hard because this is this can be split up into like eight ebooks. It's huge. Yeah, it's and you know they're they're, they're like thick ebooks too. Uh, yeah, but it's going to be split up into eight of them, and it would have just been like an entire book where just Juniper isn't there. The the remnants of the party are trying to like go on without him. I don't know. I, I think it would have been good. I just think I just didn't I didn't have it in me in me to write it at the time. Yeah, I I really would have loved it. I yeah. I agree. I think that it, but it makes sense though. I mean, like this is the longest book I've ever read. Uh, yeah. Even though, like if it does turn into an eight book series, it's among the longest I've ever read. I think what we talked about at the time was like, you know, I would rather have skip that whole thing and get an ending that has more energy and momentum behind it You're than right. like burn the last of your fuel getting out this separate book. Right. Right. At the end of the day, we got what we really wanted. I also think like a lot of that like lost stuff is just told in retrospect. You get some of what's good or what would have been good about it, or at least that's what that's what the attempt was to just have this sense of like passage of time, and then not spend like a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand words to like actually accomplish it. How often were you really burnt out and struggling to keep writing when you were when you were doing this? You know, it, it really depends on the arc. Some of them, I just felt, I felt like they were grinding on and they were lasting too long. It's lasting too long. And I I don't know what I can actually do about that. You never cut one short? You know, sometimes I, I'm like, okay, this is like, I need to, there there to be less words here. I think the Folitaire arc, I was super burnt out on that one. That was pretty early on too. I was super burnt out on that. And I felt like it was going on too long and just like running in circles. And when I'm not happy with what I'm writing is when I feel the burnout the most, because I just like sit down and I don't want to work. I put the words on the page anyway. And then editing takes longer because I'm like rewriting and I'm scrapping things. There was a point at, I mean, I can't, I can't, the the Athenaeum, the the magic school arc, right? Mm, Yeah. I, I like rewrote one of those chapters, like three or four times and I was just like, oh, I don't enjoy the process of writing then. I, I like to finish things. I think not enough people in like webfic, especially, just like finish their books. The median story just gets abandoned. So uh it's important to me to, to me to to finish it, to tell a complete story and stuff, but I would say it kind of come comes and goes. I also struggle with depression. Uh when I'm depressed is it can be more difficult to write. Because I just like don't want to do anything. I just want to stay in bed and sleep like 14 hours a day or whatever. Yep. Do you think the depression was ever like sparked by feeling like this was going in a crappy direction and you didn't like it? It's almost. Well, okay. sometimes, sometimes, especially um, if it had been a long time since because this was done a batch release. I was going to say schedule, but there was no schedule to it. Uh, It was just like whenever I have a batch of chapters, it feels like good and coherent. Usually I would fit, put out a batch and like people would read it and I'd sometimes have the next batch like started, maybe even like a chapter or two written. But then there'd be like a nice lull of like a week or two where I'd just be working in relative solitude and then people would want the next chapters. <laughs> that was when I'd start getting anxious and anxiety for me leads to depression. So usually it was it's either anxiety about how the writing is going that like leads to depression, but mostly it's a seasonal affective disorder. I'm way more prone to depression in the, uh, in the winter time. So I take vitamin D and I have like a little lamp thing and stuff. The work is usually not the main thing. I I think every once in a while, there's like a comment that gets under my skin and I just think about it a lot. Uh, I mostly have stopped reading comments. I have, I stopped reading comments on AO3 and then I, I like almost never read comments on Royal road. You just get a lot of that are just like terrible. I have 1,654 unread comments on Archive of Our Own. You know, most of them are good. Most of them are good. And then every once in a while, you get someone who's just like, 
hates everything and like writes a five paragraph thing about how much they hate the story. And then they keep reading the story. I, 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 I think I only people. blocked like one guy on Royal road who was commenting on ev- like every single chapter as he went through, left a half star review starting on chapter 13 and there's 254 chapters. I really should have had that be 256. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. There, you know, so he would, he would leave a negative comment on every single chapter that he read. I, I was just like getting notifications about this on Royal Road, every single chapter that this guy read because he was reading through the backlog. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. okay, I'll, I'm just going to like block you. you. You left your half star review. I don't need you to just put out your hate <laughs> on every single chapter. Like why, why did yeah. you not stop reading at that point? You know, that's, yeah. that's the thing, man. It's like, if this is a half star for you, this is a long book, go somewhere else. I'm not a, I don't put anything other than podcasts like this. And this isn't like a very creative, intensive process, but I have a lot of admiration for people who do, you know, whether it's make music or art or stories. And like, I don't like everything I read, but I've never contacted an author in any medium to be like, this sucked. Cause you know what? <laughs> they worked on it. They liked it. They're writing for people who like it. And if it's not for me, it's not for me, you know? Yeah, I, I just I can't quite get in the head of somebody who does that. Yeah, I, I try to shield myself from it as much as possible, just because it can it can like screw with me a little bit. Oh, to... totally. I think that's I think that's everybody. Maybe some people more than others. But there's a comedian and actor named Kamel Nanjiani. He had a good joke about that. He'll skim through until he finds a bad comment, and he's like, "Oh, I knew somebody hated it. Now now it vindicates my you know yeah makes me makes me feel bad. That's what I was looking for. He's like, I'll scroll past a hundred nice ones until I find the mean one. Yeah." Um, and yeah, there've been a lot of there've been a lot of nice comments. Um, it's not a story for everyone on Royal Road, especially people don't like Juniper. Um, especially when I started posting it to Royal Road, I'd get a lot of comments. You know, like Juniper's a this SJW fuck, <laughs> and and Jesus. Um, that's the point at which I'm like, okay, I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna like interact with with Royal Road at all. That's not like if that's what you're bringing to the story, and you like hate it because of the stuff that you're reading into it. I mean, I think there's stuff to be said about like Juniper's politics, the way Juniper sees the world, but like the like hatred <laughs> that uh, people would bring in. It's not like a main the main part of the work that Juniper's views of the world in in that kind of context, I guess. Yeah, he he yeah. has some hangups, but that's some of the stuff he's growing through. Like, I I don't know. I mean, do people not like characters and growth and stories? Like, uh, a I, lot of people don't. A lot of people just don't. want like a super powerful main character who they can self-insert into and then that character just like wrecks face through the whole book i i don't read a ton of like i I think between this and methods of rationality that probably encompasses at least half of what i've read on uh railroad or ao3 so maybe Mm -hmm. if i read 100 of them i'd find more things like that but that sounds boring i loved watching june's growth and struggle and uh you know if he's but you know watching him kick ass was awesome you know the fight with onion that still makes me smile when I think about it. You know, yeah. he's got the Captain America throw of his giant great sword, and it's it's insane bullshit. And then you know, Onion switches to his his not offhand, and like the whole thing is just you know flexing madly at each other. And that was awesome. If that was the whole book, though, I think I'd get worn out on it. What made you decide to go to Royal Road? Well, par- partly it's just to have more audience, right? It's like there, mm. um. There's a totally different audience on Royal Road that I thought some might like it. Sorry, I'm going to grab some stats. Uh, so it larger audiences won. Um, Royal Road and AO3 count their hits differently for, for metrics, but um, AO3 is 900,000 hits, and then Royal Road is 4.3 million. But they count their hits differently because I think for Royal Road, every view... It's like a per chapter thing. Whereas AO3, if you just load the entire work and you read through it in one sitting, that counts as one hit, which would be like 250 hits on Royal Road. But um, so audience was was part of it. I knew I'd, there'd, there'd be a bunch of people on Royal Road who would not otherwise read it if it was on AO3. And um, there was a, a, a hiccup, I'll say, on... Okay, two hiccups on Archive of Our Own. One was I had a Patreon link at the bottom and I just like didn't realize that they did not like that. And they sent me an, a message to my inbox like before taking any action, which was nice of them. But I don't read any of the things in my inbox, right? Uh, as, as mentioned. So like they, it didn't like go to my email where I would have read it. Um, so it was just like one of the thousands. It wasn't like flagged or anything. And then they took the story down and had a mark against my account. I took the link out. 
I'm like, oh, hey, sorry, didn't didn't realize. Uh, whatever. Like, you don't want, you don't want anything for profit on Archive Our Own because their mission is they're they're part of the organization of, for transformative works, the OTW, mm-hmm. and so they're mostly fanfic focused. And Worth the Candle is not fanfic. They call it original work, um, but it's in many ways a second class citizen of AO3. But so anyway, I took the Patreon link out and I put it back up and then that was fine. And I'm like, I really need to have this story mirrored somewhere. And then they they bumped the rating up because someone got very offended by one of the two, at the time, explicit sex scenes. There were explicit sex scenes? Yeah, I don't remember any explicit sex scenes. Uh, there is one. It's in tip throw, Tiptoe Through the Tulips. It's very early on. It's with Fen. It's not. It's not like an explicit. Some. Oh, I remember. They they go off in the, on the picnic basket uh, or the yeah. picnic blanket, and they you know do hand stuff. But it's it, not it like that, it was that scene. It was either that huh. scene or when they go back to the tree. I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, the story was categorized as not rated, and it has creator choose not to use archive warnings. And uh, I don't know. It's a super boring minutia of dealing with Ao3, but the rating got switched. because because of that and some other stuff and it's like a it got switched to whichever the one is where they give you a warning if you try to view it so if you go to try to view ao3 without an account or view the story on ao3 without an account it'll it'll put you on a splash page that's like hey there's some stuff in here are you sure you want to read it and i find that extremely annoying um for what it's worth i probably clicked your story on ao3 200 times and i clicked past that without like a second thought every or 199 of those times. So, <laughs> yeah. it, it, so as annoying as it is to you, I, for what it's worth as at least one reader, I only remember that it exists because you just mentioned it. And I, cause I don't have an account on the website. So I just, I probably saw that every time I went there. I mostly find it a little bit offensive. Like they already have ratings on them and they already have archive warnings. And to put that like trivial inconvenience before the story, I understand it. And uh, there is like, horrible stuff on AO3 for my own sensibilities, right? Stuff that I would mm-hmm. not want, like my son, to accidentally read. I mean, he's he's sick, so... That list is kind of long. <laughs> yeah. So I, I understand why they did it. I just, I just really didn't like that. And I knew if I, on on uh, Royal Road, there would not be any problems like that. I, th- I think I, I put it on Royal Road, I put it on uh, their highest warning, or their highest rating, uh, as far as, like, maturity or whatever, and then I put on all tags for like traumatizing content and gore and profanity and sex. I think those are the four options that you're giving. So I just, I just put every, every flag that they had on it, but they don't stop you from, from viewing the story. Man, they don't, they don't like warn you and try to make it like a, Hey, are you like really sure you want to read this? I don't know. I, I do you know, I, it, do you know what almost, you're getting into? This is so fucked up. We don't even, we're not even able to describe to you what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I that's not super exhausting. I can only imagine trying to fight through that morass of bullshit red tape and trying to write a book at the same time. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's like a, a huge spike of anxiety for me, especially if the, when the story is just like down. When, mm-hmm. when Archive Our Own takes the whole story down, I'm like, well, I need to like copy paste yeah. like a hundred chapters or whatever. That's I don't want to do that. And I was always worried that was going to happen again with AO3. It, it hasn't. And now it probably won't because most of the people who will read the story have already read the story. Unless it gets, unless it gets put on like Kindle unlimited. That's the only argument for Kindle unlimited at this point. But so, so it's probably, probably won't happen now. It was just one guy who really was a prude. I, I don't, I, I don't like the word prude and I don't use it lightly, but that guy definitely took umbrage with specific scenes and it's like i don't know did she show her ankles yeah it was one of those things where, where someone made it their business to like go talk to the administrators about my story stupid bullshit and people just have way too much time on their hands yeah so having it mirrored in a second place i think i only had to deal with the admins at royal road once which was over it was over juniper's age he's 17 when the story starts Mm-hmm. And like they is have that too young to have sex on Royal Road. <laughs> yes, that is too young to have sex on Royal Road. Uh, ah, Juniper okay. is eighteen before he has sex, but they wanted that to be explicit and not left at all ambiguous. You know, I, I dealt with that. I dealt with that. And it was like five minutes. Just made the change, and and um, I don't know. It was one of those things that I thought was to me funny. It's funny that the it's like has he had his birthday yet? He's not too yeah. young to murder people and cut their heads off, but touching swimsuit areas. Well, now now we've got to make sure he's had his, his 18th birthday. 
Right. The difference of like that one week that matters a lot. Right. But I, I thought it was funny at the time when I was writing it. Right. And then yeah. I, I got that complaint from Royal Road and they're like, Hey, you know, we got this, like, I know that they got a complaint about the story. I don't know. They, they don't say like, Oh, it was this one person. Like no one does that. No one, no one, all the complaints are anonymous. Same, same on archive our own. I just know it was one specific guy. Cause he would comment on the story and like sent me a message and stuff. And, but they're like, Hey, like we just like, can't have uh, any kind of like sex scene of someone who's who's younger than 18 i'm like well he's like been 18 it's like mentioned in a later chapter that he has been 18 for a while and just like his birthday passed him by without him really noticing so he was 18 at the time but i had fixed it like even before i sent that message but that i had find, found it funny and it was less funny when i was dealing with the staff <laughs> uh trying mm-hmm. to make sure that they were in compliance with european law or american law or whatever I don't have any patience for like that kind of just like superfluous red tape stuff. And I, I, I get I'd need to if I wanted to, you know, deal with anything of this scale. But my brain immediately just goes to like a cheese grater. And I'm just like, God, oh, I don't <laughs> want to deal with this nonsense, guys. Like, come on. But yeah. you really want to get the thing out there for zillions of eyes. And so that's the way to do it. But screw this. What the hell? I don't, I don't think there's any actual law like that in a Western nation, though, right? Because... Lolita exists like tons of works that are about teenagers okay. and, and younger people having sex exist. Um, the laws are um, stupid, but they do <laughs> exist. The, the The problem is they're, they're like affirmative defenses against it. The affirmative defense is you're saying, yes, this is true that we violated the law, but here, here's our compelling reason. And no website is going to be like, Hey, we're going to put legal counsel <laughs> To work to defend your your story that is making us I don't know yeah, realistically no, like no a couple hundred dollars or something I, d- I don't know how I don't I don't know how much uh, Road would have made on what I say like four million hit or four million views I think they probably did not make very much money and they did not want to have have to do any legal work to defend right. the story single hour of a lawyer makes that not worth it right so it's also to their benefit to have bright line policies which mean that they don't need to deal with trying to determine whether there's artistic merit to individual stories that's they can't automate that work they really don't want to have volunteers do it they don't want to have to have to depend on crowdsourcing or anything like that i get i get why that's the case it's mostly so that no one has to go to court uh, which would be very expensive and it's easier just to put in really restrictive policies now AO3 if i remember correctly has basically no censorship at all so i take it they do have lawyers on staff? Oh yeah, the OTW is a primarily a legal organization. Ah, okay. Uh organization for transformative works. They are a nonprofit that deals i mean they've got a lot of lawyers on staff. I actually talked to one of their lawyers um cuz i had written a couple chapters uh this was a long time ago but i, I had written a couple chapters of a it was a Tarzan fanfic or reimagining. I was asking about it because Tarzan is no longer some of some of the books. It's like Tarzan is a long series and some of the books are no longer in copyright, but uh Edgar Rice Burroughs estate holds a trademark for Tarzan. I don't know. It's like a legal minefield trying to write your own version of Tarzan for anything that might even remotely be considered of a for-profit work. So I talked to some of their lawyers and they were very nice and explained some of the intellectual property ins and outs and basically said, uh, just don't do it unless you want to get sued. And if you do get sued, like we'll try to help you, but uh, it's easier for us to help you based on our mission statement. If this is explicitly like non-for-profit fanfic because they don't want to be defending like for-profit fanfic which is slightly outside of their mission organization's statement or whatever well shit did (laughs) uh because you said earlier it was you know hard to keep the schedule did having a fan base that was paying you monthly uh help with the motivation or did that not make much of a difference um it does help i think it helps to have to know that there are people waiting for it i think that if i had just been in total silence like having no feedback from anyone, but you know, I eventually had a discord and I had, I I knew that if I just stopped updating the story, people would bug me about it, which is motivating for me. Usually Mm -hmm. sometimes it just, it makes me anxious, but um, no, it was, it was pretty good. Uh, And then like the money, mostly the money from Patreon is what stops me from going back to a real job. Like, uh, yeah, because <laughs> I was a software engineer. Um, I was a software engineer and I quit that to be a stay at home dad uh, with the intent of like working on writing as much as I could in 
whatever free time I had. So especially now the money is like the thing that allows me to keep writing instead of like just writing as a side gig. Do you prefer this to software? <laughs> oh yeah. I was, I was, I got really burnt out on software partly because it's like uh, the, the nature of the projects I was working on was not very existentially fulfilling. Like <laughs> I, was, I was working for a large company in California doing load testing for a phone software system that was going to use, be used in call centers. And I'm just like, you know, this, oh. this is like, I'm not going to be like proud of this five years from now. It's, it's just going to be a thing that I did for, for cash. So no, I, I, I really like writing. Um, it can be, it can be stressful, especially when it's not going how I want it to go. You need to have a certain relationship with deadlines it's kind of just a bummer that it's such a mess like to deal with. It sounds like overall, you know, it was just writing and getting it done. But like just the fact that like people and systems got in the way. I don't know that that kind of just grinds my gears, even though it wasn't even getting in my way. Um, yeah. If you were to put it on Kindle Unlimited, you'd have to take it down off of both Royal Road and AO3, right? Yes, I would. And I don't want to do that. But the argument for doing that, aside from like money, right? Mm -hmm. uh, money and a wider audience, possibly a wider audience kind of depends on how it does. But um, the, the main argument for me in favor of doing that is it's like I said, most of the people who are going to read it on AO3 have already read it, right? There's not yeah. probably going to be some huge renaissance of an enormous influx of people discovering it, right? You know, I still get comments on it. That number of unread comments has grown, but it's much slower now. And so I'm, I, I, if I think about it in those terms, I'm like, okay, it's not really being read that much on Royal Road anymore. It's not really being read that much on AO3. And if I put it on Kindle Unlimited, yes, I'd have to take it down, but it would mean overall that like the number of people reading it is just like going to go up probably pretty dramatically. And then it doesn't need to stay on Kindle Unlimited forever. It can go back up after two or three years and until everyone on Kindle Unlimited who is going to read it has probably already read it. But I, I don't, I don't know. Mostly I just like, I like works being up for free. Yep. I wish it were more lucrative. Uh, but <laughs> Does um, Royal Road pay you anything? No, Royal Road does, doesn't pay anything. They do put links to Patreon, donation links next to the story, which is how they at least support you in that way. AO3, they, they have a, a very firm rule about Patreon links. You're allowed to link to your website, which then links to Patreon, but you're not allowed to link directly to anything that is or, or could be seen as being for profit in any way even for you know, a story like worth the candle which is not there's no problem there yeah right there's no you're legal not infringing on any copyright them. yeah so unless is it is it not okay to have shia labeouf in in your <laughs> thing without paying him uh shia labeouf is it's not it's one of those things where they'd have to sue me like his agent or manager or whatever would have to sue me. Uh, it mm -hmm. is possibly a little bit of a problem. Um, it's being edited out of the ebook for that reason. Wait, what? what? Oh, man. No I was going to say, because no, if, it, it, if it went to court, I was just thinking like, no, no, I have actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Unless you're telling uh, me that Shia LaBeouf, the actor, kills needs people, then we're not, we're talking about two different people. Well, it, also, he's a public figure and it's obvious parody. Well, okay, so it is, but it's also one of those things where if I have to go to court, uh, then any profit from like putting out the ebook is like completely dead, right? Unless you get huge dry sand effects from the, the yeah. lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, in in the ebook version, it'll be um, not struck through. It'll be blacked out. It'll be redacted. Huh. Interesting. Uh, I also kind of like that. That the name, it like, we don't change anything. The, the, it's just the name, which is has black bar redaction on it, which fits the... Do you at least keep, <laughs> do you at least keep the first letter? Um, I think there are certain things that I keep the same. Uh, but, but I haven't done all the editing for the ebook, which features that. Um, Speaking of which, I think we um, speculated on this briefly. The exclusion, the redacted exclusion that says even knowing that the exclusion is a he is you know, dangerous. Is that Shia LaBeouf? No, uh, there's, okay. okay. So the, 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 I wrote about a month ago, I finished up writing the exclusions document, which is coming soon. It is a list of every exclusion. Um, that fun. that'll be soon. I I'm still in the process of editing that, but it is uh, a list of all exclusions got like AI generated art. It is 66,000 words. Okay. The a small is, novel on its own. 
Yeah, the plan is to, at a certain point, once it's like fully edited, I'm just going to put out like one a day for like two months because uh, there are cool. 67, I think, 67 exclusion zones in there. But that's like one of the things that I, it's like a Patreon goal. And so it's it's done, but it just needs editing. It's about two months. It'll just be like one a month. And they're, you know, they're like a thousand words each. So they're like micro chapters. They're uh, written in a like nonfiction from a nonfiction perspective of like internal to the world. And there's like some notes from like Juniper or from the dungeon master or whatever. Nice. Speaking of apocrypha, have you read any of the, uh, worth the candle fanfic? I've read one or two. Yeah. Uh, mostly I try to avoid it because there's risk that it'll pollute my, (laughs) my own understanding of the work. Um, Mm. it's still important because I'm still like doing editing, you know, I'm editing at a pretty slow pace to match the ebook release. Uh, most of the holdup is on the audiobook end of it, but no, I'm, I, I try not to read fanfic and I try not to read too much stuff. But I've I've read one or two. Um, there was a <laughs> there was a Gossip Girl worth the candle crossover or something Neat. like that. I I tried reading that one and I kind of don't know enough about Gossip Girl. I think you mentioned redacted and that brought a scene to mind from the story. So I'll test your memory. Maybe, maybe this is again salient. It was when June was having his first meeting with the DM. The DM shows him his memory of consenting to being on air and all that stuff. Yeah. And then June's like, all right, well, what happens when I leave Earth? And it's just as redacted. Oh, well, I guess that works unless redacted. Do you have any recollection or I don't know? Yeah. I if Usually if I'm going to obscure something like that, I'll write it down. Like what the what the thing that is obscured is. Uh, mostly just to keep it everything consistent. I am pretty sure that that section was the dm saying that juniper would continue to exist in some form on earth i don't know it's, it's hard to remember but I, i'm pretty sure that i that that's some version of what i wrote down right like uh, a pea zombie juniper um no like a clone yeah like the okay. same like the same level of it, this is like the most meta and thought-provoking thing i've ever read so the, the thought I was going to say is like the same level of Juniper that existed on Arab, Inyash, I yeah. think. Not a, not, neither, neither of them are P-Zombies, except for the extent that both of them are, right? Right. I would I would be a little disappointed if like I got teleported to a uh, to a fantasy world, but like a, another me stayed on in the real world just having a mundane life. The okay. thing is, neither of these Junes went from the real world to, to the fake one, right? Mostly you, you, leave, you want to leave behind a clone for other people. So your parents aren't just like, oh, I guess my son is like missing right i started reading a uh, or writing a uh, a novel like that that's like from the perspective of the people who are left behind after someone <laughs> gets transported to another world i don't think it, it went anywhere it it's one of those things i try to i try to focus on a i call it a punchline but I, I try to focus on like what what is our interesting resolution i just didn't really have that good of one right that's like the kind of thing that you would write as the start of a novel where our protagonist is like searching for their friend who just like vanished one day and, and then finds out that they've been to another world. I don't know that that also kind of bored me. Like the, the idea of going to that place with it instead of being like, Hey, there's this kind of like unhappy person who got hit by a truck or whatever and died. I don't know. Yeah. Well, there was kind of a version of the, those left behind with the, uh, the deep dives in the heavens, you know, they yeah. put like their autonomous automata to respond to emails or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of a cool balancing answer for that. What caused you to start writing Worth the Candle? Why Worth the Candle specifically? And why Lit RPG? Um, so, okay, uh, this was this was five years ago. So I had a, I had a friend who, who very, very loosely uh, matches to Arthur. And I still get sad about it sometimes. He was, you know, he was 18 years old when he died. He died... Uh, We'd all just graduated from high school. Um, so it was the summer after our high school graduation. We were all going our separate ways or whatever. But um, he was with another friend of mine. They went to go get fireworks from out of state on 4th of July and had this car accident. And then um, he died. I don't know. I, I still sometimes think about that. I'm, I'm not old, but, you know, I'm 36 now. So that was almost 20 years ago. But yeah, he had also, his whole life ahead of him. He's like smart guy in a lot of stuff. He was in like mock trial and he ran the yearbook, knowledge bowl and stuff like that. And he just, he just died. And like literally just like his whole life, 
ahead of him, right? Like he's going to a good college and I don't know. Uh, so I was, I was sitting in, in my basement. I was just like super sad about that. It, I don't know. It's one of those things that I feel like you should be able to make peace with and get over after like 20 years. But it still, it still is like, I don't know. The world is very unjust in a lot of ways. And so I was, I was at the same time as, as uh, running a D&D campaign. And um, one of my goals for that campaign world was to just stuff absolutely everything into it, right? Like, I still have the design document for it, and um, a lot of the stuff cross-pollinated into Worth the Candle. I just wanted something, I don't know. I, I wanted. To, I, I, I was also coming off of a previous web serial, uh, Glim Warden, which I, I stopped at chapter, I think, 11 or 13, because I was just I was super stressed out about it, and I had made some structural mistakes, I thought, and I just wanted to write something that I could write fast, something that I would release under a pseudonym, something that was like meaningful to me, personal. I don't know. I just kind of started writing, but a lot of it was like that night. And I was just, I was just sad. And I was just thinking like wishing he'd had a better life or like any life, I guess that my friend mm-hmm. did. And uh, I was thinking about that and I was like, I kept running it through my head of like imagining him in this other world. And I knew that that was not a good way of handling that. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the, a lot of the story is two or three steps removed from me sitting down and and like trying to write like fan fiction of my friend, <laughs> imagining that he instead of just dying needlessly right after high school, that he had that he had gone to a different world. Um, I don't know. I also like really don't like <laughs> the person I was around that time. I don't know. It, it's all worth a candle, right? It's, there's yeah. a, a bunch of decisions that I made and a bunch of ways that I thought. And a bunch of oh, when you were eighteen, when I was yeah, when I was like seventeen, eighteen, probably, pro- I mean, probably up until I was like twenty six. <laughs> yeah, if if I'm being realistic, probably from like fifteen to twenty six. There's a lot of stuff where I just shake my head and I'm like, man, I'm really glad, really glad none of the web archives chronicling my live journal are like still around, like in GeoCities, and I'm glad none of the public facing stuff exists anymore. There is a whole bunch of stuff I wrote around that time when I was when I was eighteen, eighteen to like twenty one, maybe. I was just depressed. I was like lashing out at people, and and I know that a lot of people are vicious assholes nowadays. But I think the reasonable people understand that we change over time, especially like twenty years. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think some people are just like I don't know. There was one guy who this might have been on Discord. who just was like. I know you so well because I read Worth the Candle. I'm like, uh, I really don't think that you do know me. <laughs> yeah. Like we've never had a conversation. This is like created partly to help me with my own stuff, but it's a lot of it is for entertainment and there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that's true to my life ish. And then there's a lot of stuff that's just made up, I guess. I wondered the whole time I was reading this, did you actually write stories with your uh, friend in them in the way that uh, Juniper did with uh, Arthur? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, I, I mapped some out and then I decided that that was probably a bad way of dealing with dealing with that persistent sense of loss, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't want to drag the whole rest of the, the show onto this beat for my, for my end of it. But when I was reading a uh, Metropolitan Man, you did a really good job convincing me that you had been a female journalist in the 1920s. Like, I felt Lois Lane's voice, right? And so the whole time I was reading Worth the Candle, well, you know, at least for part of it, I was hoping, just because I didn't want it to be the case, that June slash you was just good at imagining, it was basically Lois Laning the situation, right? Yeah. Um, when Basically, when the DM said, no, nah, it was for me, then I was like, okay, that's all the confirmation I need. Um, yeah. But I, I said this when I was, when Inyash and I recorded that episode I, I imagine that parts of that had a huge emotional component to it. And I, we can talk about it for as long as little as you want, but I just wanted to, to let you to thank you personally for my end. Cause this, this, this story happened right at the right time in my life. I had a friend, uh, I can't remember when we started doing the podcast, but in September of 2021, he was diagnosed with a high grade glioma brain tumor. And 54 weeks later he died and we'd been friends for closing it on 20 years and it sucked. And it was, it, there were differences though with, you know, Arthur's death, how it was sudden. And this was less, you know, 
anyway, I guess what I was saying is like at the time June was struggling through all this. So was I, and I found it just really valuable to have, you know, cause a lot of the failure modes he talked about that he went through, I was like, oh yeah, I totally would have done that if this happened when I was 18. And so anyway, I just, it was, uh, it was impactful. And if I didn't say that, I would regret not saying that. So thank you. Yeah. I actually had, I had a friend die in, um, one of my high school friends, I, I wasn't, I didn't like keep in touch with him, but he died in very early in 2020. He had um, Kurtzfeldt-Jakob's disease. That's, that's not, that's a rough way to go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, like he had known for like a year and a half before it happened and he like slowly lost his ability to think yeah. and he left yeah. his like his wife and, and kid behind. Kurtzfeldt Yakov is human mad cow disease. If anyone yeah. doesn't know it's, how to spell it's a, that, it's a terrible way to go. Um, yeah. And like they can't do anything about it. So there were parts when I was writing that, and I was like thinking about about this other friend too of a, a more slow, protracted death that you that you see coming, and it's like I don't know if it's more terrible or less, but I think you used yeah, the word was, unjust earlier. Yeah, it's, it's, and that's, that's know, there's, there's, there's a lot of injustice injustice in the world. Yeah. Um, you said you hated young you, or you really didn't like who you were at that time. And there were a couple times. Well, so in, in chapter 229 on the road, when Amy asks, why does he hate us? Or why is he doing this? And June says he hates us with a burning passion. And uh, she says, no, not, not Felseed. Why is the dungeon master doing this? And June says, same reason. And then a bit later in the Hellfall chapter, uh, when he meets, the DM says, there's plenty of reasons to hate you, and I do hate you. <laughs> and I, I, I was wondering, like, do you, did you hate June the whole time you were writing this, or part of the time, or? Um, or was it a very successful ruse? No, sometimes, <laughs> it's, it's a sometimes thing. It, like, okay, so I have all these emails, like, that I sent, I don't know, there's, just, there's so much, like, cringy stuff. That's not even like, it's one of the things that people don't like. People are like, oh, Juniper is like, I don't like Juniper at all. I'm like, well, I don't like Juniper. But uh, like his likability is dialed up rather than down from like who I was at like 18, 19. Like I have these emails and I just like read them and I'm just like, oh my God. And I just need to like, I need to not do someone who is specifically me because that's too, it's too unlikable. It's too unrelatable, I think, because I, I read like stuff that like literally like happened to me, um, and like my responses, I find I find very unrelatable. So there's there, there there's a lot of hatred. It's more directed at specific decisions and like ways I've hurt other people than than like specific personality traits. I guess. Did writing this help you to hate June less, or or, or yourself less at all? Um. Yeah. I, th- I think mostly it, it helped to underline for me that I am not the person that I was at like 16 again. Cause you know, like part of, part of writing this was I like, I would go back to these emails pretty regularly to try to like, I, I wrote, I wrote a ton of like personal emails and stuff. I had a lot of pen pals uh, when I was around that age. And I like, I have all these old things like talking about my day, talking about my feelings, talking to other people. There's like a lot of documentation and stuff. And I'd go back to it. So I think in the sense that I spent, you know, four years going back to the the stuff over and over and over was mm. sort of like aversion therapy in a right. sense. So I hope, I think it helped in, in that respect. You said oh, no, it's hard in- to say. I wouldn't say this is an ideal form of, of therapy, like writing a long epic web serial. <laughs> I mean, it's. I think it doesn't generalize very well because no. most people can't write that well. But I think it's it's pretty great therapy if you can swing it. Yeah, and it's the kind that you know you get to share, right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, yeah, it, it I helps at least one person. For, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's been more helpful for for other people than for me. You know, I get I get like some of the gratifying emails every once in a while are like, "Hey, the story really helped me like change my mind about." who I am and how I deal with things and uh, like has really, you know, helped open my eyes. I'm like, okay, well, that's good. That, that means that it was worth, it's worth writing it. You could have said it was worth the candle. Yeah. You almost said sure. that means it was worth the candle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in chapter 223, June is thinking about like, if he was to get back to earth, I think and my notes are a little scattered here, but he'd maybe get the group back together and make apologies and smooth things out, admit fault. And maybe he says, maybe find Tiff in my arms once more. Did you 
manage to like come close to that in your real life at all with the getting the group together and making apologies and all that? Um, it was just a lot. So many of the specifics are are so different. It's it's actually funny to me because like I I do talk to some people in I don't I don't live in the same area anymore, which makes there's there's like a lot of distance. But I I do occasionally talk to like people who are in my D and D group, and they're like, oh yeah, that was like that was terrible. But it, it, for them, it's water under the bridge. They don't like really care anymore, right? And we like stayed friends. We didn't I didn't blow things up that badly, I guess. So you weren't quite as awful as you think you were then. Well, for for a lot of that stuff, yeah. Like a lot of a lot of um a lot of it is just like the specifics of it are are so different. The the stuff about like killing killing people in like a D and D campaign that like happened. I don't like the Felseed thing is not that's not very uh, true to life. Like hopefully it felt true, but um yeah no I, I I've got a friend who is like oh yeah remember when you killed us all with those those snicker snacks <laughs> and um, <laughs> he thinks it's funny uh, yeah. Even though, really, it was I was just, like, pissed off. And uh, as a dungeon master, you have control over, like, what other people are experiencing. So it was kind of, a, it was kind of a, like, one of those things I, I feel bad about. But I guess it's just, like, totally forgiven. You said water under the bridge. And I believe the phrase is <laughs> over the bridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got so many, so many comments about... It was, like, a running joke that I guess was not funny enough. Because I got so many comments that it was just, like, you are aware that's not the expression. I'm like, yeah, like. So Stephen and me had kind of a back and forth on this where I thought it was actually a saying on air because it's weird. And Stephen is like, no, Fen was just bullshitting. And then um, Grack plays along because he's awesome at being the straight man in their relationship. <laughs> was Fen just fucking around or is that a saying on air? It was It was meant to be just Fen fucking around. And then they just keep okay. using it as like kind of a loving reference to to Fen and, and to, to continuing the joke in a deadpan way. Like it's yeah. never, it's never like a, a moment to laugh, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. just kind of, it's just kind of deadpan there. I think whenever it shows up. The, the moments awesome. to laugh were like me and when we, when you, when you and I had that discussion, because I remember saying, look, man, it doesn't matter where they are. If there's water over the bridge, it's a problem. Air <laughs> 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 yeah. over earth. It doesn't matter, man. Yeah. All right. Well, I I'm going to get into lighter questions here, unless Stephen, you want to do a few more personal ones. No, I appreciate that. I maybe I could have been more eloquent with it or something. I I thought about writing it out in advance and then didn't. But no, I, yeah, I think I got that part out of the way. Yeah, if we were, especially we're cresting an hour here, so if we have time, we'll talk about the nature of reality at length. But we'll see. Let's get through the, hmm. the quick ones you have real fast. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering, was there any place in the story where you actually rolled real dice to determine an outcome? No. I never did that. I think that's kind of bad narrative practice. I think if I were, if I did that, I would mention it in the story in like an author's note or something, because the the benefit of doing that is the sense of reality it gives to the reader, right? I Mm -hmm. it's generally negative from a writing perspective to have your outcomes determined by dice, unless you're doing like kind of a a constraints breed creativity thing, but no, no, never rolled dice. Yeah, Fam- famously, uh, Dick wrote um, "Man in the High Castle" using the I Ching at crucial plot points, and I think it really suffered for it because he kept getting boring prompts until near the end. Or at least, in my opinion, other people think it's a wonderful book, but I was like, I, I can tell where-, where he rolled the I Ching, and it sucks. Yeah. Okay, there's this time where, um, gosh, blanking on the name, Valencia the Red had like this this itch to craft june in a way that she thinks would be better for him ultimately she doesn't do that and like i was happy that she resisted that temptation but i also think it would have made like a fucking awesome side plot or spin-off book or something and i wanted to ask you did you were you like considering taking her down the evil path doing this or like did it feel like you were pushing her in one direction or the other unnaturally or was this just from the very beginning um I think evil Valencia had, had some promise. Um, I just never, it was one of those things where um, writing serial, I try to give myself options. And um, I also try to not drop too many plot threads. I think worth the candle, the dropped plot threads are kind of like diegetic in some sense. Right. Hmm. Like, like there was a certain point where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to spin up so many open threads that it just is, feels ridiculous. That it feels to the reader 
like we're never going to solve this all or like this adventure could go on forever right that was that was kind of the intent but that was one of the plot threads was evil evil valencia would be a nice subplot that would hopefully get resolved with her being forgiven and and which, which we have like a, a, a more sedate version of that in in the final worth candle where she does manipulations that get forgiven and um i think that for me worked well but no i'm kind of i'm glad that i didn't do a more more extreme version of that or even just like an antagonist turn for her especially since bethel has the antagonist turn i think it'd been a little redundant i for one would have loved to see her in black leather because that's (laughs) always required when you turn evil yeah did the storyline get off track at some, cause I remember there's this one time where, uh, he, the DM, I think it's the, during his second talk with the DM and the DM is like, yeah, you, there was some shit where it really went off the rails, but you know, I, I just rolled with it. Was there places where the story really got off track from where you had intended it to go? There are a couple things that I changed from my initial outline. Um, Fen was supposed to die a lot earlier, uh, when she got like cut in half in the woods, I was like, well, maybe this is just a place where where she dies. I should just like she should just die here and be out of the story. But I liked her as a character, and I'm like, okay, I'll try to figure out if there is a way for her to be saved that like makes sense that like that that this fate can be avoided. And so I changed it. I I came up with the like the blood transfusion thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so Juniper does this blood transfusion. I'm like, okay, that's like interesting enough. It's at least been established before to some extent, like, so she lasted like an extra, an extra like 50 chapters, something like that, uh, from what I mm-hmm. planned. And then, um, the hell arc was going to be a little bit longer, but then it like was a plotting problem because I didn't want the hell arc and the fell seed arc to be like, so incredibly close together. I just thought that was really, I thought it was getting grueling in a way that wasn't fun. And the Falatar arc, I think just went on too long. Maybe, I don't know. There, there was a lot of stuff that I like, I had a list, and I usually do this when, I, with, when I'm writing. I have a list that's for, first that where I have a plot outline, and then I say, like, here are all the open threads and all the things that you can call back to, and people who read clearly are going to be like, oh, he planned this all along, right? I don't think it got that far off track, though. My, my overall plot outline, I think, I stuck pretty closely to. If I had to do it over, I'd probably have just cut it down and have fewer companions. And then th- th- there was a, a web serial problem where certain characters feel like they have naturally hit their end point and mm-hmm. then there's still a lot of the story left to go. It is like from a plotting perspective, you what you want is for everyone to like hit their end point to, to like do their character development or whatever. You you want that to happen pretty close together or you want it to to do like successive arcs for each character. I think for Grack especially, um Derilli Irid, that chapter it's not the end of Grack as a character, but it's like he he resolves this major thing that's been hanging over him since like the moment he was introduced. And I feel like that he like doesn't have enough to do for the rest of the book. The cool thing about this work in particular is that the characters are reading their own lives with story goggles and they're fully aware of that. Yeah. I think they even have a conversation about like, you know, Grack's been pretty sidelined since we finished his main arc. Right. (laughs) Like I think they put it a little more delicately, but that that was, I think that's a kind of a fun way to keep them around because unless you could get six or seven or eight people to all have their, their storylines and character arcs crest at the same moment, there are going to be ones who finish first. And so this, this keeps them around and gets, you know, in a self-aware way. Yeah. It's kind of weird that like Grack hasn't been relevant for a while. Right. And he's just like, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in the, I, th- I think it was, it was fine. It's just one of those things where um, I think better, better overall plotting. Yeah. It, it did get away from me in, especially in specific, like less high level stuff. Uh, I think, I think the story got away with from me in a, in a few places where I'm just like, how do, how do I even like, how do I resolve this? How do I like get these characters out of this situation in a way that is satisfying to the reader? in a way that doesn't feel like bullshit for no reason. So what, what was an example of that man? Okay. So Juniper is in like the secret prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in Angleson and, um, or Anglekin. I don't know. My pronunciations mm-hmm. are terrible. Sorry. I don't like pronounce words in my head anyway. So he's in the secret prison and I'm just like, I'm just like trying to figure it out. I'm trying to fig- like figure out what, for, first of all, what these characters would do. Right, like what is logical, established thing for the ca- characters to do that not only 
is consistent with what has come before, but which is but which reveals something to the reader by having it happen. Because because you want you want people to read and, and like come away from every scene basically with a better understanding of the characters. But it's one of the I think big struggles in a longer work is is trying not to have everyone be flanderized uh, to to have them just be reduced to one or two notes. They're in this prison. I'm just like trying to figure out how how is this like fight with the guards going to go how like what realistic precautions are going to be in this place that can be subverted in some clever way that I either had in mind before because I, I that's one of the other things I do is I, I keep a list of like exploits or cool consequences of systems that have been set up or like cool interactions between systems and then you can kind of like pull those out as needed or or set up circumstances for them to be used but that one in particular, the the underground prison, I was just like trying to. I felt like I was floundering. I think it came out okay, but um, especially when it gets to a certain point where every character should have, like Juniper had had like so many different magic systems and so many different magic items, and then logically had access to much more than has ever been listed. And then he's going against an opponent, uh, an opponent who should have top tier magic users and, and items and stuff. And I, I just like, I had this feeling that everything was like <laughs> spinning out of control. And I don't even remember the resolution all that much. I don't remember like what specific tricks were used. I just, I just remember floundering a lot there. There's a pulled time his soul out of his body and then went through the barrier. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then like, there's a whole fight after that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There, there, there's just, uh, it's it's more on the on the micro than the macro level that that a lot of that stuff I'm trying to just like work out. I'm trying to work through like 30 different options, and then I get I always get feedback after of like why didn't he do this and why didn't he do this and uh, uh, sometimes I just forgot. Sometimes there is a reason, but I also don't want to spend more paragraphs than I have to explaining a thought process for a thing that is about to happen or a thing that just happened. I think that like slows things down a lot. Yeah. Sometimes people would say, why didn't he do this? And I'm like, Oh, like here's three paragraphs explaining why some of those paragraphs are in the work. And then sometimes I'm just like, I just find this too boring and too slow to actually go through the logic that I was using or that Juniper I thought would use in this, in this situation. So did the DM lie to June then? Uh, in terms of things getting right. Um, I think it's it's much more. I don't know. I was on the seat of my pants a couple times, but, <laughs> but it's more. It's much more on the like moment to moment, and like there were certain things that I did not plan that far in advance, or, or that, I, that I only realized like at that chapter. Oh, I should just like swerve a little bit, and we're going to take this detour. We're going to go to a different town, and then and then eventually we'll hopefully end back up in in Rome, I guess. Oh, well, speaking of that, in chapter, this is the next question I had. In chapter 179, we find out about Amaryllis's diary that apparently she'd been keeping when she was a kid. And uh, Raven says, did Amaryllis ever mention this diary to you? Juniper says, no. Huh. Do you <laughs> think it was schlossed in with the outer reaches? Was the diary planned from the start or did you add it in this chapter? I, I added it for that chapter. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Raven's paranoia paid off. Or rather, yeah. was was correct. At the end of the day, if it's sauced in, it doesn't actually matter, right? Like, right. it was there the whole time. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the difference for, for the Schloss is it was never mentioned in the story, like, before that point. It wasn't, like, something that was set up and then paid off later. It's just, uh, like, oh, like, it would be neat to have, right? It, it's not, that diary is not set up as, like, a, a huge problem, uh, like, out-of-context problems coming from nowhere. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't feel that way anyway. But it's it's added in as as texture. But it wasn't like planned. It wasn't like I had I had this like these big plans when I started the book that I was going to have this thing in it. That makes sense. You mentioned about how Fen was going to die earlier. From from the reading perspective, it was a nice harrowing moment. But honestly, if she had died then, I would have cared less. Yeah. Like ha- yeah. having her come back and then we get to know her more and longer. That made it hit all the harder later. Um, yeah, and I think there was and- a lot of good Fen stuff that followed that. God, I, I actually that think that her death was not necessarily a hundred percent necessary. I think that it would be possible to, to rewrite the story and keep a lot of good stuff and just not have her die. But I, you... I don't know. It was one of those things I, I just, I just planned for it. And I liked, I, I liked the idea. I, there were a couple ideas that I liked a lot. I liked the idea of Juniper dying 
and then Fen's there in hell. And <laughs> <laughs> I like that, like, sort of inevitable reunion, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't actually sure I was going to do it. Like, I was trying to work out the logistics of, of it, but also, like, the idea that if if you're going to bring Juniper back to life, if we're if if I'm going to do the Hell Arc, which I almost didn't do, um, if you're going to do the Hell Arc, then like why wouldn't you also bring Fen back? Right? What do you mean you almost didn't do the Hell Arc? Uh, you would have just ended the Felseed fight in a different way. Like the first Felseed fight would have would have ended with some kind of victory, um, and then huh. we'd just go straight to Longstairs and then not do the Hell Arc. Oh. Uh-huh. Or they could have gone uh, back to the, you know, they could have fled and licked their wounds or something. Right. Because the, the tone of the first one, that was such an awesome thing coming back for the second one. You know, the, yeah, they're, they're walking through literally it's raining babies and all this terrible stuff. And that helps set up the depressing atmosphere. But like, it's not really until like you get there and the fight's just not going. And you're like, okay, you, like you're feeling the hopelessness. And then when they show back up the second time, I think the line was something like, this time you're just in the way. And it's like, oh, damn, Like he's not the end game now. He's just, you know, between them and victory. And that changes the tone of everything. So I think having it be two separate encounters worked really well. Good. Yeah, but but I the Hell arc, I, I was also like, the finish line, I, I, like, I really like the Longstairs arc. A lot of people don't. Or, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the things that I get more mixed reaction on. But um, I had always wanted to do that. I would always wanted this sort of like reverse, sort, sort of like stripping things down, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like we strip away powers, we strip away characters. I'd always liked the idea of that, but the, I, I was like going into the Felseed arc. I'm just like, oh, do I really want to do this Hell arc? And I thought it worked okay. Uh, it's not my favorite part of the work, but yeah, it, like it, that was one of those points where I'm 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 having to make this decision, and because it's web thick, I can't just like write it both ways and see which way I like better, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I can't just be like, hey guys, I'm gonna like and take like three or four months off and <laughs> write two versions and only show you one. <laughs> that was one of the things where I'm, I'm I just like, didn't know for sure what I was going to do. Eventually you just have to make a decision. Cause otherwise you're um, going to run into not deadlines, but I, I think, th- I think it's easy with WebFic to get locked up in your, in what you're doing to, to sort of like get stun locked. So you said right at the very beginning of this podcast that, uh, you you weren't quite happy with how the ending turned out. And since we're here back at the end now, what was your ideal? Like, how would you have wanted it to turn out? Um, so the complaint that I agree with um, for not not the epilogues, um, but the that like final conversation at the DM, the complaint I've heard that I agree with, because um, I think it's I think it's one of those complaints where I'm like, ah, yeah, there is sort of the metal level and then there's the like object level of the story having those be more tightly interwoven would have been better because the dungeon master is like yeah mostly this was for me mostly this was for me to deal with my own stuff and for me to like get something out of it and now you can fuck off and have your happy ending right that's like the metal level for it like this is a story and the story is over because you you have dealt with the main thing which was arthur basically I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I would rewrite it, though. is is my problem. But the problem the, with the ending for me, the the stuff that I'm not happy with is it would have been better for Arthur being gone to solve things in some diegetic way on Arb, which it doesn't. It solves them in a meta way on Arb. That's the stuff I'm not. I'm not super keen on. But I, I don't know. I I don't. It would take so much rewriting, and like I don't know what the different version of the story would look like. But uh, when I look at the ending, that's the thing that gets to me. Is it's a meta solution to to diegetic problems, and in some way that's cool because it's the mix of the the diegetic and the the meta. But it would have been nice for that to be I don't know different somehow. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the epilogue. Some people didn't, but whatever. <laughs> I, I think I, I, I think like, I called it. I like the epilogues a lot. I like the long stairs a lot. It's that it's that final chapter. I think, but the problem with the final chapter is is that meta diegetic. Uh, it's this like it, it needed to work on more than one level. I guess I'll often think about that and save my. Maybe we'll have another conversation that involves the how I guess in the months since we finished the book, I've worked on how I think about the nature of reality on Arab in quotes. I, I'm really happy with the way that it landed in my head um, or the way that it's coming together. I don't know if it's fully coherent yet. 
I have a, a quick question. I, I kept like a list of predictions that I have hastily kept together for the first part of the story. And uh, one of them is the sun will never be explained and Alexander doesn't understand it either. Is the word of God explanation for the like how the sun, how Arab doesn't have time zones? Is that because fuck you, it doesn't? Or is there some actual understanding? It talks about like the light bending weird or something when he's going to the moon. But I, I don't I don't know if I'm buying that. <laughs> um, the way that it needs to work. So partly for that is the idea was that it's a skybox, right? Which is a video game thing where you have um, you basically have a sphere surrounding the player. And that sphere is your uh, your sky. And so everything that's beyond what the player can see is part of the sky box. I mean, OK. In the before times, it was a box. I think usually it's a sphere now. I might be wrong about that. Because spheres are harder to render. But you, you have this box outside. And um, no matter where you move, the box is still in the same position relative to you. And so I was trying. I, I wanted that feel or that understanding of like artificiality outside. The way that you need to do it is that light comes in like absolutely parallel to every part of the planet and then the reason that you don't have time zones is because um the light isn't like the the sun is is at an absolute position in the sky regardless of where you are on the planet and the way that has to happen is that light from the skybox or whatever is always uh shooting parallel rays of light all the time right now that makes sense Um, it it kind of makes sense it's one of those things that like makes I, I spent a lot of time on it and it makes less sense the further into it you get and the further that you like have to like deal with the the weird outcomes from that. But it was one of those things that I liked. I liked, I liked just, just committing to like, no, there are no time zones. It's all that. And then, and then you like run on from there and then there are like different, there are different like physics hacks that have to be implemented for um, like an infinitely tiling plane. In an actual infinitely tiling plane, uh, or like even even just something very large and flat, like a, a one of the imagined superstructures, like an Alderson disk, where you just have like perfectly flat land that goes on forever. Basically, in an Alderson disk, it goes on for like not forever, but enough so that uh, there's like substantial downward gravity. With the constant gravity like that, it doesn't matter how far up you get, so you can like never achieve orbit because the the gravity doesn't change. And like you're you're you can't send rockets up because uh, the gravity is like so substantially different. It feels the same when you're just like a person standing on the ground, but the gravity is so substantially different that like missiles don't work. And then um, if you're standing on the ground, the gravity is actually bending light. So from your perspective, it appears as though you are inside of a large bowl, <laughs> uh, oh. even though the land is perfectly flat. So there has to be a physics hack in place to bend light upward. All right, that's that's super. That's a super baller explanation, and I will count that as a wrong prediction. Uh, no, that was awesome. Uh, that's that's the same sort of like enthusiastic nerdiness that June exhibited through large parts of the story that I really liked too. So that's that's my bread and butter. Like I, I love that stuff. Uh, yeah. What were you gonna say, Ines? I, Sorry. Well, I am really disappointed because I had a thing come up yesterday that is for today, which is why I have this hard cutoff now, and I really want to go for like another half hour, forty five minutes. I guess my real quick question is. Do you guys want to reconvene maybe tomorrow or next week or something and just do a little bit longer? We do. I can do a part two. I'd be down for a part two. Time to time to be decided, but I'm super into it. Yeah. Cool. How did we always open this? Oh, yeah. Uh, Let me. Yash, this is Steven.